Thank you for teaching us how to use our church website, Tom. <laughs> Let us all put our hands together as we pray for Tom this morning. <laughs> Beloved, let us pray. God, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we might hear with deep and surprising joy what you have to say to us this day. This we pray in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Before I became a parent, I promised myself that I would never use the following phrase. When I was your age. When I was your age, I used to walk three miles in the snow to get to school. When I was your age, our phones had cords and dials and operators. When I was your age, life was different. Life was harder. Life was simpler. Well, as it turns out, I'm not very good at keeping my promises because I find myself uttering that exact phrase to my children on a weekly basis because I desperately want them to understand that the world that they are living in right now is not how it's always been or even how it should be. I tell them, when I was your age, there were these things called commercials that we had to watch in the middle of our television shows that we had to tune into on a particular day and time of the week, not of our choosing. When I was your age, there was this crazy thing called boredom. <laughs> but probably the most shocking of all of these revelations is when I tell them, when I was your age, there was no such thing as Amazon Prime. <laughs> now, I know it might be hard to remember, but there was a time when thinking of something, wanting it, deciding to have it, and then having it wasn't as easy as scrolling and clicking and then opening your door, and it definitely didn't happen as quickly as two business days or less. Oftentimes, I tell my kids this truth when I see how surprised and how frustrated they get when things don't happen for them right away when their needs and their wants aren't met with a scroll and a click, when their problems aren't resolved in as quickly as two business days or less. But sometimes I tell my kids this truth when I need to be reminded of it myself. It doesn't really matter when you were born, we are all living in an Amazon Prime kind of world one where we have come to expect results and resolutions to come quickly and easily. If we have a question, we want it answered fast. If we have a problem, we want it solved fast. If something is broken, we want it fixed fast. We want a straight shot to the promised land without ever having to walk through the wilderness. But as we are all painfully aware, that's not really how it works, is it? As we talked about last week, the wilderness may not look the same for each of us, but we all know what it is. We all know what it's like. 
The wilderness is that holy and that horrible place that none of us would ever choose to go. And yet we believe, we trust, we hope that God will meet us there. That God will wrestle with us there. That God might even bless us there. Held by that very hope, this Lent, we are going to do something crazy at First Press. Instead of expecting quick and easy answers, instead of running from one thing to the next, we are going to slow down. We are going to stop running and we are going to be honest about what terrifies us about the wilderness. Last week, we talked about our fear of the wilderness itself with Jacob in Genesis 32. Today, we confront our fear of being invisible with the bleeding woman in Mark 5. Beloved, hear now God's word for you this day. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Friends, the word of the Lord. Now, depending on what Bible you are using, a passage, our passage for the day from the gospel according to Mark, often comes with the title, A Dead Girl and a Sick Woman, or A Girl Restored to Life and a Woman Healed. Literal descriptions of the miracles performed. But today I want to look at this infamous passage from a different angle, using a different title, and it's this. The Visible and the invisible. First, the visible. In this story of not one, but two miracles, the first involves a leader of the synagogue by the name of Jairus. Scripture tells us that upon seeing Jesus in the crowd, Jairus walks right up to him, falls to his feet, and begs him to cure his daughter. Yes, he is distraught. Yes, he is desperate. Yes, he is in a wilderness all of his own, but he is visible. 
in position, in privilege, in posture. He needs help, and he knows how to ask for it. A reality that the woman in our second miracle has no concept of. Unlike Jairus, scripture does not give us her occupation or even her name. Instead, we are told that she had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, a condition that alienated her from her community, that she had spent all of her money going to doctors for help, and that nothing she tried worked, and her condition only got worse. Yes, she was diseased. Yes, she was desperate. Yes, she was in a wilderness all of her own, but to make matters worse, she was invisible to the world, to her community, maybe even to God, or maybe not. Like Jairus, the hemorrhaging woman is hoping for a miracle. Like Jairus, she believes that Jesus just might be the one person who can make that happen. But unlike Jairus, the woman remains hidden in plain sight. She doesn't seek out a home visit by the famed rabbi. She doesn't even ask for a side conversation. Instead, under the cover of the moving crowd, she reaches down and touches the hem of his cloak, the whole time remaining out of sight, the whole time she stays invisible. That is until she's not. Scripture tells us that in that exact moment, two things happen immediately. First, her bleeding of 12 years stops. And second, Jesus feels a surge of power go out of his body, causing him to stop dead in his tracks, turn to the mass of people crowding in around him, and to speak aloud for the first time in this narrative. He says, who touched my clothes? Now here is the part I find so interesting. If all the woman wanted was to be healed of her bleeding, well, then she got it. She got her miracle. She could have ridden that crowd all the way out of town without ever being found out for what she had done, for the miracle that she had stole, for risking being seen. But something about hearing Jesus call for her, something about realizing that Jesus is looking for her, makes her realize that she wants more than just to be healed of her disease. She wants to come out of hiding. She wants to be visible. She wants to be seen. And so the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Woof. The power of being seen. As I said earlier, the wilderness looks different to each of us. For one, it might just be a child on their deathbed. To another, it might be a decades-long disease. For one, it might be a broken home. To another, no home at all. For one, it might be a struggle you cannot hide. For another, it might be the one thing you do hide. Whatever the case may be, I think we can all admit that the wilderness is bad enough, but to feel like you are alone in your affliction or like your pain doesn't matter to those around you, well, that, that is just terrifying. 
leading you to wonder, how can I survive the desert on my own? Does anyone even know that I'm here? Does anyone even care? Just this past week, I was talking with a friend of mine who has spent the better part of a decade trying to have a child. Years of tests and doctor's appointments, years of fertility treatments, years of spending all the money, all the hope, all the faith that she has just so she can become a mom. After learning that yet another round of IVF did not yield any viable eggs, my friend was understandably devastated. She said to me, this experience is hard enough, but what makes it even harder is that no one ever talks about it. So I don't talk about it. And so no one knows what I'm going through. I just feel really alone in this. The power of being seen. Similarly, in the wider culture and society, we have all borne witness to the pain that comes with being invisible, but also the fight, the desire, the courage to be seen. A perfect example of this is the 2017 movement that went viral with two simple words, me too. Founder of the Me Too movement, Tarana Burke, once shared that the origin of that very phrase came from when Burke was serving as a counselor at a youth summer camp, and one of her youth by the name of Heaven confided in her that she had been a victim of sexual violence, a reality that Burke knew all too well. Not having processed or been supported in her own trauma, Burke was unable to stop and really acknowledge Heaven's pain in that moment. She was unable to stop and see her. And after that day, Heaven never returned to camp. From that experience, Burke was forced to ask herself, why couldn't I have just said, me too? A phrase she then turned into a movement, a way, a space to make the invisible visible. To make the pain of being a sexual assault survivor more known, more accepted. Did you know that within the first year of this, the first tweet of Me Too going live, 19 million people retweeted me too. The power of being seen. Now I realize that these examples come from my personal experience and the public square. And I realize that stories about IVF treatments and viral hashtags are nowhere to be found in scripture. And on top of that, I realize that our Presbyterian tradition doesn't advise us to wade into such sensitive matters or to deal with such earthly things. But here's the thing, Jesus did. As our passage for today reminds us, Jesus, our God, our Savior, our King, did more than just make the lame to walk and the blind to see. Jesus, our God, our Savior, our King, made the invisible visible. Whether in life or in death, he made it a point to seek out those who society had turned their backs on, those who religious institutions could not be bothered with, those who were invisible. And then he walked with them in their pain. He honored their, their suffering. And sometimes he even healed 
their disease. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. He loves us. He loves you. As Rosemary said last week, the wilderness is a strange and a dangerous place, the kind of place that no one ever chooses to go, the kind of place we spend our lives running from, the kind of place that forces us to face our deepest fears. But friends, do not forget, no matter what your wilderness is, no matter how long you have been there, no matter how deep you are in the desert, no matter how invisible you feel, God will find you. God sees you. God can heal you. Because God loves you. Just as you are. Amen. <laughs>